Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons online from Tuesday, September 1st, 2020 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, entitled Divine Genetics from 1 John 2, 3 through 11. Tonight we're going to look at the, the second uh, message. We're in a series of lessons on 1 John about being a child of God and what that looks like. Last week we looked at uh, we looked at living in the light, how that was a key characteristic of someone who is uh, a Jesus chaser, being a child of the Heavenly Father, is that they live in the light. And that as if they live in the light, yes, they can be clearly seen. All of their warts and the inconsistencies in their life can be seen. But there is great freedom knowing that there is nothing secret that Satan holds over you. Something that we talk about a lot is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are free. And what Satan wants to do is he wants you to live your life. He wants you to take the, the mistakes that you've made and hide in the shadows. And if he can do that, he can literally use the darkness to hold you captive. And so one of the aspects of being a child of God is that you are free to live in the light. So tonight we're going to look at our divine DNA, our divine genetics about where we come from, about what does God intend to do in our lives, and how has He supernaturally equipped us to be able to do exactly what He wants us to do. So if you think about uh, DNA, your DNA, right? So whenever you were conceived in your mother's womb, God decided what you were going to be, who you were going to be, what you were going to look like. Okay, there was a roadmap. Uh, back when I was doing college biology, I remember you can't change DNA. Our culture is full of, of people who feel insecure. And so what they try to do is they try to change their outward appearance to try to fit into what they think that they are. But no matter what we do to the outside, it doesn't change our DNA. You cannot change it. No matter what I do, I'm always going to be Brett Jackson's son. You guys haven't met my dad. He's back here. He looks just like me 30 years from now. Um, but there's nothing that I can do that can change the fact that I have his DNA. Nothing. I mean, I can, come, I can cut my hair different. I can shave my face. I can even have surgery and change my body, but it will not change the, the, the DNA that's inside of my body. In the same way, you have a divine DNA that you carry. That divine DNA is a roadmap. It is a destination. It is something that it has been set aside for you. So if you are a child of God, there is going to be a natural progression for you to where you start sinful and broken and trying to figure it out and you're stumbling all over yourself and you're making mistakes and you're being dumb. Rule number two, don't do dumb stuff, right? What's interesting is that as we apply ourselves to what God has for us in his word, we don't, at the end of our lives, become sinless. But as we get closer to Jesus, as we live closer to him and we do more uh, with him, we begin to find that we don't become sinless, but we do sin less. Because over time, we begin to realize that when I take the steering wheel, I automatically drive it into the ditch. It just happens, right? Because I am really bad at being God. 
I hate to break it to you, but as smart as you are, as good-looking as you are, as great as you think you are at what you do, you're terrible at being God. Why? Because you're not God. I know that I'm, I'm kind of shattering your, your God complex here, but the truth is that you're not God. And only God can do God-sized stuff. But God's Word says that there is a roadmap, there is a destination for us. As we apply His Word, we naturally will change. And through that change, what happens is that we become, the fancy word, is sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. That God takes a broken, rotten sinner, a dead person, and He makes them alive. See, God is not in the habit, He's not in the business of making sick people well. He's in the business of making dead people alive. That's the product of living a godly life, of being a child of God. So not only do we live, the light, live life in the light confidently, but also we understand that there is a roadmap that's been implanted into us. God's Word says that we are compelled by the Holy Spirit to good works. In other words, you cannot help but do what God calls you to do because to do otherwise makes you miserable. Right? You are, it's a natural part of being his child is that you want to do what he wants for you to do because it's the only way that you can find fulfillment. And so we're going to look at a piece of scripture here where, where the Apostle John, he walks us through what this obedience looks like. So I want you to think about this. Before Jesus, from our perspective, chronologically in time, before Jesus, there was this promise that there would be a Messiah, that there would be someone who would come along and be able to do this perfectly right. And that promise lived for thousands of years, and finally it culminated itself in Jesus. And so the things in the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus down that way. And everything in the New Testament, and from now, from our vantage point of history, when we look back at the cross, Jesus is right there. But we see that Jesus, as the central point of all of creation, he is the fulfillment of all of those promises. Okay, so we can look at him as a model. We can look at him as an example of what it means to be a legitimate child of God. So look at what this says. So the first thing I want you to see here is that our obedience shows who we belong to. Okay, look at this. We're going to start in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 John chapter 2. We're going, to, we're going to read verses 3 through 11. We're picking up right after where we left off last week. And if you missed the sermon last week, be sure to check out our Spotify account or our Apple podcast, and you can check, them, check it out there. But we're going to start here. I'm going to go ahead and read this whole passage of Scripture, and then we're going to start breaking this apart. So beginning in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2, it says, This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is, the, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. He walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, so John carries on this, this, uh, this metaphor, this description of light and darkness. Okay, the first thing I want you to see about obedience, look at verse 3. It says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. See, it's a common thing for people, especially in our generation, to say that they know God, they have a relationship with God, or that they, um, they're, good with, they're good with Jesus, right? Jesus is my Savior, everything's great. But, the, but you ask them, well, do you read your Bible? Well, I mean, I'm kind of busy. You don't understand, like, I'm working a lot, and I do a lot of things, and I have school, and I have my kids, and I have this and that. I've got this relationship. I've got all these, I've got all these things that are keeping me busy. I don't really have time. In fact, it's funny because I had a mentor tell me one time, I, I, we were going over goals, and I asked, he, he asked me how I was going with my goals, and I said, well, I really didn't have time to work on them this week. And he looked across the desk and he said, that's not true. In fact, I believe he said that's bullcrap. <laughs> and I said, what? I was kind of offended. He said, don't lie to me. If you, didn't, if you didn't make time, just say you didn't make time. Don't tell me you didn't have time because there's no such thing as not having time. Either you do it or you don't. It's either a priority or it's not. So let's be consistent about how we live our lives. Did you read your Bible today? Did you have a quiet time today? No, I did not. Why? Because I was a bad steward of my time. You see, an excuse is a lie wrapped inside of a reason. An excuse is a lie wrapped inside of a reason. I didn't get my quiet time done today because I was just woke up late and I had this thing and I had this, all this other stuff. The truth is that I wasn't a good steward of my time. It's lie wrapped around a reason. But look what he says in verse 3, very simply. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now, tell me something. Can you truly follow Jesus? Can you truly chase Jesus and be a child of heaven if his commands are not a priority in your life? No, you can't. You cannot. This is how we know that we belong to him. We obey his commands, very simply. Okay, the test of a true child of God is that his word is the most important thing to them. Okay, keeping God's word is driven by a sincere love for him. Okay, if we don't love him, we don't care what he has to say to us. It says here, so to look at these next verses here, in verse 4, he says, The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. So this word complete here is seen in another place in Scripture. It's seen in 2 Timothy 3.16. Write that down if you're taking notes. 2 Timothy 3.16 specifically about God's Word. Okay, in 2 Timothy 3, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's saying, listen, Tim, everything that you have, everything that you need is at your fingertips. And it's in, it's in God's Word. It's in Scripture. And he tells him, Scripture is, is made on purpose. It's like a whetstone that, that God uses to sharpen you. Okay, these commandments that he gives you, these aren't just, just hard rules, black and white rules that he wants you to follow. Because remember, sin is not about the things that we do. Sin is about who's in control of our life. 
If I'm in control, I'm living in sin. If God's in control, I'm living in freedom. Okay, sin is not about the things that we do. Sin is about control. Who is in control? So God's word is a way for him to shine the light on us, again, light, and expose the things that need to be changed. And in that passage in 2 Timothy 3.16, he talks about different things. He talks about teaching, how God's word teaches us, how it tests us. This whole idea of being complete, it means that we are going to be fully developed, fully understood, fully sharpened. In fact, he goes on to describe it as being uniquely equipped. God's word is used as a tool for God to uniquely equip us for what he's called us to do. It says, for every good work. Now that phrase there, uniquely equipped, means designed and engineered for a specific purpose. Okay, so that means, if you guys have ever, you guys have probably heard this analogy from me before, have you ever cut with a bad pair of scissors? It's infuriating, right? And you do a lot of damage. See, God's word makes us perfectly equipped, like, like two blades that have been fastened together that work like a pair of scissors, okay? If they're not put together correctly, they do a lot of damage. They don't do what they're intended to do. But God's word equips us to fit together perfectly, uniquely equipped for every good work. And that good pair of scissors, it cuts true and straight and clean. That's the only way that we can rightly figure out what is true and what's not true. And we know that if we are children of God, his word is going to be a priority in our life. It's not an extra. It's not something additional we've got to do. We are hungry for it. And we're, when we're away from it, we're miserable. So we've got to remember that God's word, it works in our life to keep us growing in the right direction. Now, here's a key truth. That God uses his work, his word, to attend to us carefully and to take care of us. So think about this example. You guys have probably seen this on the side of the road when they plant a new tree by the side of the road. Okay? They, they put the mulch around it, and then they have these stakes with these cables that go down to the stakes. Why do they do that? So that the tree grows straight up. If there's no stakes to hold it in place, what happens? The tree will bend with the weather, and it'll grow crooked. So they stake it off because it's top-heavy. Now, when it gets bigger... When the roots go deep, you don't need the stakes anymore. A small little sapling, an oak tree, starts about this big around. But eventually, it'll live for 200 years, and it'll be five feet in diameter. But when you're young, when you are inexperienced, it's important to have stakes in your life. That even though you don't quite understand all of it, you know that it's going to make you grow straight. This is an example of God's word. Okay, so there's a lot of things that you may not have figured out yet. You may think that you have everything figured out. I know that I did when I was 25. But the truth is that God's word has promises that he's said to you. This is the way the world works. And I get it. You look at God's word, you read it, and you're like, how in the world does this apply to me? This is ridiculous. We live in the 21st century. I don't see how this is relevant at all. But there are parts of Scripture, every time that I have gone through an issue in my life, that I have relied, I've needed some piece of hard truth, a stable place to hold on to. God's Word has never let me down. And the older I get, the more I test it, the more true it becomes. And I realize now that the things that God was teaching me, that I was planting in my heart, 
by studying his word, these are stakes that he, has, that he has driven in the ground around me, and he has tied me to each one of these truths so that when I grow, his word keeps me straight. We can't look at God's word as shackles that hold on to us. We've got to look at it as something that helps us be free, to be healthy, to be right. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Okay, so Jesus is our prime example. So in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus, about how he lived his life in connection with Scripture specifically. Remember, Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life because he fully relied on God, on the Holy Spirit. He abided, John 15. He abided in the Holy Spirit and he followed God's word. God's word wasn't just a factor in Jesus' life. It was everything. Listen to what, what Paul says about Jesus in Romans 15. Verse 3 through 6, he says this. He says, For even the Messiah did not please himself. In other words, Jesus didn't do what he just wanted to do. Even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, Jesus is saying, all the stuff that people accuse you of, they've accused me of. Oh, you, oh, you believe that Bible? Oh, you must be simple-minded. Bless your heart. You're not educated. You're not woke enough. You're not enlightened. He says, all these accusations that they've thrown on you, they've thrown on me also. Beginning on, he says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through an encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. He is saying, listen, God's word was important to Jesus. This is part of your, your divine DNA. Okay, you cannot say that you are a child of God and, number one, ignore his scripture. Number two, discount its truth. And number three, disregard its application in your life. This is part of who we are. We know that because that's what Jesus lived out. Every relationship, think about this. Your relationship with God is the number one thing in your life. Whether you think it is the number one thing in your life or not, it remains the number one thing in your life. And if you don't believe me, try spending some time neglecting it. Because it will affect you. Whether or not you say that your relationship with God is number one, it doesn't change the status of it being number one. It doesn't change it. Every relationship is driven by communication. It's built on communication. God has not only revealed himself to us in his word, but Jesus has lived that out. That standard is an example for us to follow. See, before Jesus, we're told in the Old Testament to love God and love people. Okay, the two greatest commandments, according to Moses' law, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what began as a, as a practice that had to be done in order to earn favor, Jesus fulfilled. And now we have the promise that if we abide like Jesus did and we live by his word, 
that love is a natural byproduct of our lives. In other words, what God's word is saying is that, listen, you can't say you love your brother and, and hate them at the same time. You cannot live in God's love and hate someone else. It's not possible because it's contrary to God's character. So what happened was that Jesus allowed us through his sacrifice, through our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to now be able to just have one job. John 15, 5, abide. We cannot bear any fruit without abiding. You can come to all the Bible studies you want. You can sing all the songs you want. You can, go to all the, you can listen to all the sermons, the podcasts that you want. You can, you can do all the discipleship one-on-one meetings that you want. But if you're not abiding, you're not going to bear fruit. You're not going to bear good fruit. Let me rephrase that. Because you're going to bear fruit regardless. John, or Galatians 5 says that. But if you're not abiding, you're not going to bear good fruit. See, the word wasn't just a source for Jesus. It wasn't just another thing that he tacked on to his, to his ministry. It wasn't just a means for him to preach. It was everything. So when you wake up in the morning, when you, or when you set your alarm at night, what time you're going to get up? Who do you choose to worship? Do you choose to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and sleep in another hour so that I can get a little bit more rest? What always happens? You get the extra hour, but the day on the backside of that alarm, it's horrible, and you end up more tired than you you were before. Why? Because you're literally choosing to unplug yourself from the power source. Part of our DNA is that we are hungry for God's word. It's, part, it's how we know that we're his, that when we, we can't wait to get in this book. And I'll be honest with you, there are some days when I wake up and I don't want to read my Bible. And why is that? Because I'm choosing to be in control. Because I want to be the boss. I don't want to do my quiet time. I want to surf Instagram for an hour which is super productive, I know. I've got to tell you that part of our divine DNA is that no matter what happens, we always get hungry. How do you know that you need to eat? When your stomach starts going, right? And and before you know it, you can't think of anything else. I've got to eat something. I'm starving. My hands are starting to shake. It's the same way with our spirits. Our spirits are hungry for God's word. So not only does our obedience show who we belong to, but look at this other part here. Who we belong to also determines our behavior. Look at verses 7 through 11. He says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, let me pause for a second. I know this is kind of crazy here, because he says, I don't have a new, I don't have a, I've got an old commandment for you, but no, I have a new commandment for you, back and forth. Okay, so here's what, what I found out in my research here. So the old commandment is tied to the Old Testament, where, he, where God told, told Moses, you put these two commandments above everything else. You love God and you love people. Okay, so the old commandment is, is God telling Moses, you will do these things. 
Okay, so what did that lead to? By the time Jesus comes along, these Pharisees have said, okay, we're going to categorize who was our neighbor, who should we love, who do we have to love, who do we just kind of put up with? Okay, so mankind drew boundaries around this, all right? So I'm going to take care of these people because they're my people, but all these other people, I don't have to because they're not, they don't technically count, right? So he says, this is the old commandment. This is the commandment that you've heard, the word that you've heard. Okay, this is the gospel and command uh, to God to love people, right? But once, what, but what was once commanded for them to do externally, though, now it becomes a byproduct. That's when he talks about this new commandment in verse 8. So in verse 8 he says, Yet I am writing you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, John is saying that before Jesus, we had, to, we had the command to love people, but now, because God has come to us to live in us through the Holy Spirit, it's a byproduct of our life. Okay, so we're going to have God's priorities. He's not telling him to obey God, but rather to live out what should naturally be coming to a child of God. And he says this thing about darkness passing away. So, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but our world is a mess. Yes, it is, right? So Jesus said that he was bringing the kingdom of heaven. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand today. Okay, and God's word tells us, eschatology, this is the study of the, of the end times, is that we live almost, I'm going to try to describe this the best way I can, we live in kind of a crossover time period, a crossover age. So before Jesus came, before Christ came, they lived under the law. Okay? They were looking forward to the cross. But now, on this side of history, we look back to the cross. And we also can look forward knowing that Jesus is going to come back. Okay? So, what does that mean for us? That means in, in, in the book of James, in the first chapter of the book of James, he says that we are the first fruits of God's creatures. Okay? It says in, in Romans chapter 8, that all of creation groans under the weight of sin, all this discontent, the crap that we deal with all the time, and that it eagerly waits for the redemption of the sons of men. So what does that mean? It means that from the point, from our perspective, the point that Jesus died on the cross and brought grace and forgiveness through his blood to humankind, from that point until the point that Jesus comes back, we are going to be basically the salt and light to all of this brokenness in between. So what that means for us is that God has uniquely equipped us with fruit. If we abide, we naturally have this byproduct of being his children. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right? Notice he doesn't say you have to choose to love. It just happens. Right? What's interesting, if you go back and you read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and you realize that all the byproducts of love come from that fruit of the Spirit. That he is patient, doesn't keep record of wrongs, etc., etc. And Jesus said, this is how they will know who is mine, how you love one another. This is a byproduct of our life. This is a byproduct of living in his word. He says, this new command... The old command was, you got to do this thing. The new command is, this is going to happen regardless. Okay? 
He talks about how the darkness is passing away, but the true light is already shining. That's us, right? That's God's promise in us. We're in the final age. That means that, that, that we essentially get the chance, the opportunity to put God's glory on display in this dark world. So you see people riding in the street. God calls us to love, to call people to himself. I love the story of, of, the, of, of Joshua, the leader of Israel. He's about to lead the Israel armies into battle in the Old Testament in the, in the first chapter of Joshua, and God sends his archangel Michael to come see him. And Joshua's first question is, are you for us or against us? And what does the angel say? He says, neither. I'm not for you or against you. I serve the Most High. This is our response to our culture around us. Are you for this side or are you for that side? Are you red or are you blue? Are you conservative or are you liberal? Are you in this camp or are you in that camp? Are you with that guy in the White House or that guy in the White House? The answer is neither. I'm with the Most High. And there's a lot of people pointing at themselves, wanting to be in control. But the truth is that the only byproduct of that is sin. That sin is death. We've got a bunch of people running around, grabbing the steering wheel, getting into, getting into the ditch, and wondering why nothing's working. It's because none of us are prepared to be God. We're not equipped to do that. But he says the darkness is passing away. The true light is here. He says here in verse 9, look at this. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Think about that. They're choosing to live in the dark. You can't say that you're part of a fa the family of God and hate the other light bearers that are bringing light into the darkness. You can't do that. So think about that. If our, if our divine DNA is driven by a hunger for God's word, if it changes our actions to where we naturally love people. How do we respond to people whenever they're aggravated with us? When, they're, when they call themselves our brothers and sisters in Christ? Where do we go? We've got to go to the standard here in God's word. The other thing it says here in verse 10, look at this. He says, the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Those who are truly living in the light will love their brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you choose to hate, look at what he says in verse, verse 11. But the ones who hate his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Last week we talked about this idea of living in the dark and living in the light. Right? We talked about how if you live in the dark, you're always going to be running into things. The analogy of you get up late at night, right? You've got to use the restroom. Dark bedroom, round the corner, you forget the chair is there, ah! and then you hurt yourself. Right? This is the nature of living, choosing to live in the dark. Well, guess what? There is light, and it's right here. He says that those who walk in the light don't stumble. I think that's interesting. Because... The number one thing that Satan loves to attack, has to attack, is God's word. Do you guys remember uh, what it was like when you were at home and you're sleeping in Saturday morning, everything's nice and cozy in your bed, 
right? Everything's nice. And then your mom comes in and turns on the light. That feeling of like, I don't care what you do, just turn the light off. That's what Satan wants to do. Remember the first temptation? where he, What did he say to Eve? Did God really say that? He questions God's word. Why? Because he knows that this is where the light is found. Godly love comes from a life that's rooted in Scripture. You cannot love people if you're not in God's word. You can't do it. It doesn't matter how many t-shirts you have, how many hashtags you use, or what protests you go to. If you're not in God's word, you will not show people love. It's not possible. I know that because it says it here in the book. That if you belong to him, you're going to desire his word. And that the only way that you will know true love is if you're in this book. So you want to show love to the world? You want to show love to your neighbors? You want to love people? You want to, you want to encourage them? Spend time in his word. You want to be the change that the world needs to see? Start in here. So let's talk about God's word for a second. Why are you not being obedient to it? Ask yourself that question. I read it. I know what it says. But am I more angry at my parents than I am at God, so I refuse to do it because I want to be in control? Do I find myself offended by other people who call themselves Christians and use that as an excuse to keep me out of God's word? That's a dangerous line to to walk on. Because Satan is robbing you of the fruit in your life. And he's using other other broken, fallen people as an excuse for you to not be obedient. You know what? I'm a parent, and I don't know everything. And I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. My dad's not perfect. My parents aren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. But to use them as a a reason to not be in God's word is wrong. And Satan's robbing you of the fruit of your life. So why are you not being obedient? How do you feel about God's word? Are you the type of person that grew up in church, you know some Bible stories, and you think you know the Bible? Or have you actually studied it? Have you actually dug into it? Do you know that there's different kinds of literature in here? Do you know what the purpose of each kind of literature is? What was God doing? How does, how does Jesus fit into the mix? Why did we need to be atoned for? Why did Jesus have to die? All of these things are important. You're going you're gonna to live your life based on a casual understanding of what you know to be a hard truth. That doesn't make any sense. There, I know, I know many of you well. And I know that you want to see God move in your life. And I know that you want to live in freedom. I know that you want to be, that you want to love people and you want to change lives and you want to be sincere. But guys, I got to tell you, it's one thing to read God's word. It's another thing to apply it. You can read, you can study, you can do all of these things, 
But when it comes down to obedience, if you don't obey, it's worthless. God doesn't want the sacrifice of your time. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. Plain and simple. His word is there to draw you into fellowship with him. Those who love God love his word. And those who love him naturally portray that love to the world. So I want to encourage you in this. That you have divine DNA in your your life through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that divine DNA has set forth a pattern, a trajectory for your life. But the only way that you can understand that is if you research your genealogy. Who are you in Christ? Where do you find your value? How do you see yourself? The only way that you can accurately do that is if you do it through the textbook. All Scripture is given by God and is divinely inspired for instruction, for reproof, for correction and righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have an opportunity to show our broken culture love and that starts here in these pages. So if you're spending time in God's word, if you're hungry for God's word, be encouraged that you're doing what you need to be doing. If you are not, if you're running from God and you don't want to open this book because it intimidates you or because you're angry, come talk to me because you're missing out. But if you're studying this book to learn some random facts and figures to make yourself feel smart, you're missing it. God did not intend for you to live your whole life, collect information, and die. He made you to live. The only way that we do that is through God's word. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, reachtulsa.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for reach.tulsa. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah.